Yeah, they just got $150,000 for free for every ape they own. I can't tell if your reaction is because of your COVID or because of the impact of just taking that on board. Started during lockdown, needed something to do. They looked at each other, they said, hey, I like talking to you. And so from a garden shed in a box room in West London, they're discussing tech. It's the Small Time Vets Podcast. So Jonathan, you're sounding a bit croaky this week. Are you okay? Have you got a case of the COVIDs? May have a case of the COVIDs. The Omicron. The new one. The new edition. They've been talking about a resurgence in the UK. Speaking of COVID though, and supply chains and inflation and all the stuff we normally talk about, are you worried about what's happening in Shenzhen? So in Shenzhen, there's been another lockdown because China's got a COVID zero policy. Mm. It, it means they react really harshly if there's just a single case. Yeah. So there's been a few instances over the last two years where an entire port was shut down because one port worker was found to have tested positive. Obviously, that's massive economic impact. Mm. Uh, what's happened in Shenzhen? So Shenzhen's famous for producing a lot of um, consumer electronics, and in fact, it's all manufacturing, isn't it? As anything that's ever been made in China that we receive has probably come from Shenzhen. Yeah. So um, a lot of so what like what is Foxconn it? stuff is there? They make the iPhones, the Dell laptops, Hewlett Packard laptops. Basically, a lot of technology, a lot of tech. So what's happened? Yeah, I think it's pretty much like you said. They China have had a resurgence of COVID. A few days ago, they'd recorded about 5,000 new cases of COVID-19, which for them, yeah, they just lock everything down. So part of the uh, northern provinces have been, northeastern provinces have been full lockdowns. And then to keep things running, they've done these kind of like bubbles in Shenzhen and Shanghai, where basically to leave Shanghai, you need to have a negative test taken in the previous 48 hours and then all of the everything's closed entertainment shops everything you can kind of get groceries and that's it and then in Shenzhen people have basically been told to stock up on what you can and then you're locked down for a few weeks and have to work from home or not at all basically unless your job is literally supplying essential goods to Hong Kong China's always done the lockdowns where the whole town you can't leave, you can't come in or out, or the whole province sometimes you can't come in or out. Mm. In this one, is it also a curfew as well as that? So yeah. You're not really supposed yeah. To leave so the house. some people can't even leave the factory. Oh. <laughs> so some people are literally being asked by their employers to mm. stay in the plant because it's they've got these like weird like bubbles just to keep things running. Because right. the alternative is everything shuts down. And Shenzhen is responsible for 16% of China's high-tech exports. And globally, pretty much every device you have around you will at some point in the supply chain have had something that comes from Shenzhen. I think about a week ago, people were, oh, if Shenzhen closes down, this could have another knock-on on supply chain. But then a few people have correctly called out that the long-term shockwave, when it finally hits the rest of the world, could be massive. You know, you think about like chip supply chain shortages and everything going on in Ukraine at the moment and COVID. And when they shut down the Yantian port during the COVID outbreak last May, just so that it was operating at 30% capacity, we had like massive queues of ships leaving there that just had a huge, you remember there were like just clusters of, of shipping containers that just couldn't move all around the world because of that event. And this yeah, could yeah, promise to yeah. be similar. So I just wondered whether 
yet again, this is more bad news for my inflation hopes. I don't know how many um, car manufacturers components come from Shenzhen either. I would assume probably quite a lot are dependent on that. And you've already okay. seen... Can I just do a look back on car-based chips supply chain disasters of the last two <laughs> years? Okay, so July 2020, fire at a major substrate factory, took out a significant source, um, P- PCB factory capacity reduced. Asahi Kase micro devices in Japan, automotive supplier had a fire at one of its fabs in October 2020. Then February 2021, the deep freeze in Texas took out half the state's power gen capacity. You remember that, but it also set back production oh, yeah. at Samsung's fab in Austin. So they have fa- fabricated in Austin. And in March 2021, there's a fire tearing through a fab owned by Renesis Electronics, a Japanese company, key supplier for automotive. And then in 2021 summer, the COVID outbreak in Malaysia forces chip packaging plants to shut down. So the automotive chip supply chain was already having a tough time. And then the <laughs> There's this news of the neon. A lot of the neon mm. comes for the US, at least, comes from Ukraine. That you need to be able to make the chips during the laser sintering process. So that that neon has an impact in the absence of that. Plus now Shenzhen seeing a slowdown in production of necessity because if you lock things down that badly, you can't do it without really mm, impacting output. Okay, so um, expect prices to rise of secondhand cars and availability to get longer in terms of lead time when you put in a request for a new car. And all electronic devices, right? So I'm thinking about, I I pre-ordered the Steam Deck, the Valve Steam Deck. A lot of people are very excited to get that. They already delayed because of chip shortages from launching end of last year. They only just launched about a few weeks ago. I mean, that might not come at all this year, is my guess, because, because of things like this. Every new device new phone, new tablet, new laptop, new car. Jonathan, what's this week's not a sponsor? Mm, I've got another productivity-based one this week. The sponsor is Screen2GIF. So this is only on Windows, but it's a completely free-to-use, even free for commercial purposes, and it's open source. Have you ever been in those situations where you're like, I need to communicate what I'm seeing to someone? But it's not a screenshot. It's kind of moving. There, it's like a like I want to scroll on the screen and show Absolutely. them something. Absolutely, yeah. And you find yourself, should I film this on my phone and then WhatsApp at them? Like, do I do I enter Xbox gaming thing on the PC and do some sort of like like I'm some sort of Twitch streamer and then send them a video? Like, what's the right thing? Screen to GIF is brilliant because you basically choose the area like you would a screenshot, hit record, do what you want. And then it puts it into any number of highly compressed GIFs that you can then send to people on Teams or emails or whatever you would have you collaborate on Slack or something. And it's really helpful. You can even embed it in a PowerPoint or in something where you just want to bring something to life without a big, heavy, chunky video. So That's superb. Yeah, screen to GIF, free. We'll put the link in the show notes. But a very useful oh. productivity tool. Thank you very much, Jonathan. Is it time for this week in crypto? This week in crypto. And do you have a good market update for us? Starting with crypto this week, Bitcoin started at about 39k and ended the week at about 42k. So from 39 up to 42. Overall, crypto has gone up about 10% this week. And meanwhile, so has the stock market and the indices will tell you 6 to 8% actual you know, actual stocks here and about the place like uh, Amazon have gone up 10%. Tesla's gone up nearly 20%. 
Um, oh, wow. Why? And what's driven all that? Well, I don't know. It was kind of some good peace talks, but they're not really going well, to be honest. And I think it's kind of a recovery day 24 of the war between Russia and Ukraine. Like the stock market shows a remarkable resilience and ability to, even in the face of the Federal Reserve talking about six rate hikes this year, shows a remarkable ability to distance itself from what's going on in the Ukraine war, what's happening in global inflation, what's happening in supply chain shocks. And this week it painted a really rosy picture. Hmm. That is surprising. And what do you think will happen next? It will go down again. <laughs> okay, good. Um, because it has to, because um, it's... It doesn't match reality. Oh, I mean, there's an actual land war in Europe and... Um, even if it finished tomorrow, the impacts on, if it were just wheat, and that was all that was affected, wheat prices and energy, but nothing else. If that's all that was affected, we would probably still be heading into a recession. We've had a really positive week. Now, hopefully I'm wrong, and it's just going to keep going up and to the right in a week-on-week week, 10% rise, like when the Fed kept printing money. So hopefully that's what actually happens. Okay. We'll see. Did you see any other news that came out of the EU this week? I heard about it secondhand. So there was some proposal to ban proof of work distributed ledger technology. And that would have hit Bitcoin and Ethereum on the head. And it was sort of with good intentions to do with the environmental impact. Mm. There was going to be a vote in presumably the European Commission. Uh, tell me how it all played out. So the vote was rejected. So 30 people voted against it, 23 voted in favour of it. So it was pretty close, to be honest. This was snuck in kind of a week before as an amendment that limited not just the mining side. Of it. So it's not like there should be no mining on EU soil. It would limit the ownership, trading and holding of any proof of work cryptocurrencies within any EU member state. Because obviously the EU doesn't participate in mining. That tends to be done, you know, in the US, China, what well, used to be China now, Kazakhstan, Iceland, like basically with other cheap energy. But it was it was a bit strange. Once again, I think with the right intentions, the addendum to this bill kind of missed the point and tried to put in sweeping regulations on a part or a mechanism within a technology, like within the consensus mechanisms of cryptocurrencies, saying that they shouldn't use proof of work. Fortunately, it was rejected. I think it would have got rejected once it gets rolled up. I think as part of like the ratification of something, this draft bill, it would have got rolled up and probably would have then got rejected. But the fact that it got this far is quite concerning. You could look at it as like a positive, like, oh, you know, thank God they allow proof of work now. Or you could look at it as, I can't believe it actually got that far. It's a bit like uh, the infrastructure bill when stuff got snuck in last minute there and suddenly there was a big awareness within the industry this is a similar thing and i think what you'll see is the whole crypto lobbying side is going to become a much more effective weapon in political circles in the future Can we talk about that because crypto lobbying sort of gone mainstream mm. um it's got a lot more money behind it who's doing crypto lobbying so from what i've seen it's the big the big pockets is obviously the major exchanges so your coinbases and binances and everything and then you've got like Ripple and Blockchain Association, all of those have funneled money in. You've got your North American crypto miners, 
so Bitcoin miners, which have established themselves as a, what do they call themselves? A Bitcoin council or something. Mm, yeah, right. so they, they've pulled together. But then you're increasingly seeing people like uh, A16Z, so and Andreessen Horowitz, um, hired Michelle Corver, previous DOJ, she was termed like the DOJ crypto czar because of her, uh, she's just very, very deep in the policy side mm. of, of regulating crypto. So they're all getting former regulators on board to become better at, you know, understanding policy, influencing the discussion. But then the amount of money going into this, I think 2020, there were 195 lobbyists. And then this is in Washington, in Washington, sorry. And then as of last year, there were 320. Mm. But the amount of money getting funneled in is phenomenal, which I'm quite averse to money influencing politics but in this space it's still such a drop in the ocean compared to what wall street puts in that you kind of think it's getting a voice at the moment what yeah i mean it would feel it would be great if you didn't have to but like then crazy stuff happens like the eu trying to ban all ethereum and bitcoin <laughs> yeah. um or the requirement in the infrastructure bill that anyone who is a developer somehow do kyc on the people using their open source apps mm. Okay, I want to talk a bit about Ethereum proof of stake because isn't Ethereum going to merge soon and go up massively in value? And what actually is happening with Ethereum, it's hard to stay awake long enough to keep up with actually what's progressing. <laughs> I don't know if it will go up in value. I'm, yeah, we'll see about that. But the um, the whole, it's kind of linked to the whole EU proposal thing in the sense of whilst Ethereum currently runs under proof of work so there are miners that expend energy to maintain the security of the network it is shifting to proof of stake very soon and they've been running on you know they have like lots of different test nets so they've just done the merge on the kiln test net which i think is one of the earliest ones then it will move to like rinkby and ropstem and then eventually and when you say the merge what is merging merging is when the beacon chain which is that sort of consensus layer that is what people have called Ethereum 2, that proof of stake layer with all the different validator nodes maintaining a consensus at the at the base layer. That's when that merges with the execution layer, which is what is currently run by all the miners, you know, mining blocks and, and mm. essentially doing all the computation. Once those two things connect, you fully shifted to proof of stake and you don't need miners anymore. And that will happen mm. at some point this year. And why is it so unclear when it's going to happen? I think pragmatism, like it'll happen this year. It's just, they're really, really careful. You're talking about billions of dollars that's that's riding on this massive. Yeah, not just money, apes. <laughs> yeah, so you've got the entire NFT industry, the entire decentralized finance industry. You've got people building full stack um, decentralized applications on Ethereum now, and they just can't risk it. So... There were, I don't know, three, four different test nets. And each time they do this, they see how successful the merger, see how long it takes. Basically, they don't want to get a situation where Ethereum forks. That's why that's the worst case scenario where you suddenly break everything and no one knows what's the source of truth anymore. So you want it to be quite smooth as a as a merge. But that's gonna happen at some point. And I think when it does, that's when all your people will get excited because there's two different theories. There's the one that's like no more miners. The amount of new Ethereum being issued drops 
it, it becomes a tenth of what it currently is because you don't need to compensate people for all this mining infrastructure. You you know, running a staking node is actually, you can run it on a Raspberry Pi if you wanted. It's not energy intensive. So with less Ethereum being issued and with the usage of Ethereum still being what it is, potentially it could become deflationary. And that would be very interesting because it would be what they call ultrasound money, even more sound than Bitcoin, more sound than gold, more sound than, definitely more sound than like fiat currencies. And then people are getting ahead of themselves thinking, oh, it's going to go astronomically expensive. It's going to, you know, they're all, they're all projecting really random things, which I think is probably, no one knows. Cool. Good stuff. I think it's time for this week in apes. <laughs> this week in apes. Give it up. With. There's no such thing as an NFT now. So yeah, in this week in apes. But what's happened? So, so it's finally happened. The rivalry has been put to bed. So for the longest time, you know, you had crypto punks and you had apes. Board Ape York Club. And there was that seminal moment, wasn't there, when apes... Seminal moment, I think. Uh, they f- <laughs> when they flipped the punks and then their price, their lowest floor price in ETH overtook that of the the original and much longer established NFT that was the CryptoPunks. And that was a bit of a shocker that happened last year. But then they just kept going and growing and going from strength to strength. And then... In the final devastating humiliation, this whole rivalry has just completely been put to bed. What happened? So play by play, Discord and Twitter exploded with rumours and everyone started buying me bits and punks in a kind of weird, crazy, what's going on? And there was all these crazy rumours and people were like, Apple have bought CryptoPunks or Microsoft have bought out Lava Labs. Or someone said, Google have bought out, because he used to work with Google, with Androidify and everything. And then, yeah, there was all sorts of nonsense stuff that was, like, floating around. But one of the pervading ones was that someone in the Board Ape Yacht Club had leaked that Yuga Labs would be buying the IP rights for CryptoPunks and MeBits. And therefore, a lot of Board Ape people started just joining all of the Lava Lab discords and just suddenly appearing and then they've got they've bought a me bit they've bought a punk everyone's excited and a lot of people me included were like no way is this happening firstly it's absurd secondly like that's not what seems like reality would play out and it totally happened it totally happened Ucolabs bought them for an undisclosed amount it gives them all the rights IP rights to me bits and punks, but not to autoglyphs and not to any and not to lava labs as as they're, they've literally transferred all of that over. And that's kind of weird. I described it to someone on Discord who's in the MeBits community as it's almost like our genius but neglectful parents sold us to much nicer foster home, but where they already have three kids who are their actual favourites. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's it's a kind of weird situation. Does this leave you optimistic about the prospects of... I mean, it's not like CryptoPunks need a helping hand, but MeBits were suffering a little, weren't they, under the, uh, let's say, lacklustre management of Lava Labs, and now they're under new management. And in the hands of the people who made apes, literally go into a kind of incredible cultural phenomenon and movement. This news broke as we were doing the edit. So this is now last Saturday, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. We were, I was half tempted, should we try and sneak in like a post-edit segment, but it was just it was just developing so fast, it's probably worth diving into it in more detail. 
So what what does this make you think now you've had a week to reflect on being kind of basically transferred to a foster home? What does this make you think about your neglectful former parents and and, and your prospects, your prospects in this new environment? At first, I was a little bit feeling like it was the end of an era and this this is passing over the, of the torch, you know, from what was the genesis of NFTs, which was CryptoPunks and Lava Labs, to what the future of all of this NFT stuff is starting to look like, which is less, if you think about Lava Labs as being the innovators and the hackers, and they're always like creating new stuff, that's how it came to, to be, through just experimentation and super nerdy people who love to develop. It's clear that that isn't the direction of NFTs. They're, they're much more mature now. And actually, the stewardship that works is this kind of almost like brand marketing company. That's what Yuga Labs kind of are, but like a modern one. And the alliances, the partnership, the co-branding. They just know how to, to run communities and to do the branding. Being networked and into Hollywood, the, the Paris Hilton, the Jimmy Fallon, the, the weird shilling of Moonpay. The desire to actually work on community building, because if NFTs represent property plus community, there's one thing that Lava Lamps weren't that interested in, was running a community. You had this terrible outcome where MeBits was split across three different discords. I mean, things weren't going great over there. And the thing is, they hired UTA, the Hollywood agency people, thinking that would help. Meanwhile, Yuga Labs got Gaia Siri, who used to be like Madonna and U2's talent manager, who has just been on it, who's been on it with all the, you know, all the engagements you could possibly get. They got Adidas on board. They got Jimmy Fallon buying an, an ape. They got Steph Curry buying an ape. They've got like all the connections. But what's really interesting is there's a rumor that actually the company that wanted to buy the IP from Lava Labs more and offered more was actually LVMH, mm. you know, Louis Vuitton, Moe Hennessy, which is a huge luxury brand. Is that real? Can we? Is there anything to substantiate that rumor? No, Lava Labs. I mean, let's imagine it. But if that's the um, rumor that they offered more. That's how it played out. Why would you end up if you were Lava Labs still going with your old-time rival and nemesis? I think you'd still sell to them because they've proven they can do it. Right? Well, they said LV, the LVMH like... works in the old world of branding. In terms of managing an NFT community, who can do it better than Yuga Labs? And managing the community is exactly what was missing. No, exactly. Exactly. And I think when you go to the statement that Lava Labs put out on this, it's quite interesting because they, they basically have admitted exactly that. Our speciality has always been the creation of things early in the life of a technology, which which makes sense, right? They, they invented the standard for NFTs. They invented a lot of the generative art that we see now everyone doing with autoglyphs. They invented the concept of having a three-dimensional avatar thing as an nft with with me bits but they suck at is like the rest of it right so they said our personalities and skill sets aren't well suited to community management public relations and the day-to-day management that these kind of projects require and deserve at the same time as we were working on possible solutions to the situation we met and got to know the founders of yuga labs blah 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 blah. they go on to basically say that they have a better steward for this and i agree they would be better than like lvmh who you'd get what some like chief of marketing just like oh, another brand thing in the portfolio versus people who really get what NFTs are. They're not asking other people, oh, what's an NFT? They really, really, really get it. But it's sad because now they are they are the, the extra foster children in the home where 
the bored apes, the mutant apes, and the little kennel doggy thingies are all the big kids, even though they're younger. <laughs> the younger well, so favorite kennels at least kids. recognized as being secondary because it's like an adjunct to to a functional NFT. Um, but yeah, so the the apes and to a lesser extent the mutants are already there. And you have very clear that said this isn't not going to pull focus from. We still love the apes and fully committed to them. I guess what you're saying is that the punks have now taken a kind of second place role, and the mebits have definitely lost in the sense of if it was a battle, it's mm. clear who won, and now everyone's on the podium, and it goes yeah, it goes apes and then punks and then mebits have got a chance to do well they've got a chance to thrive but they've mm. been brought back from death's door and they're in the third place and it's you know it's it's bronze and it's not that close to the silver and the gold it's quite interesting though because they described crypto punks as being history they are the historic one and they're not going to do anything with them apart from open up ip rights to all the owners which to be honest is what lava labs could and should have done originally because that would have solved a lot of this and probably would have allowed everyone to innovate on their behalf. But they kept it so ambiguous and then so restrictive that, that a lot of the innovation you've seen from other projects just couldn't happen with, with MeBits and with CryptoPunks. So once they get that drafted and they, they unleash whatever those new rights mean for owners, every single collaboration project out there is going to want to attract the community that is the CryptoPunks and MeBits, which I think will just be a net-net good thing, right? It is interesting to see that Yuga Labs now have in their stable a natively 3D avatar, like the only one that was designed with the metaverse in mind. Oh, as in as in MeBits? As in MeBits. Yeah, so yeah, one both. of the three is a natively 3D avatar designed from the ground up to work in the metaverse. And well, if you, you know, think you, about it... As you were saying in the past, like... This isn't a straightforward thing. You've got to think about the skeletal model, where the joints are, etc. Yeah, yeah. They actually have a lot of things now in that portfolio. They have the first pixel-based one, which you can think of it as a JPEG, literally, you know, or a bitmap, <laughs> if you want to go technical term. They have the first like vector-based one, which would be like the SVG scalar vector graphics version, which is the board apes. And then you've got the first voxel-based ones, which is MeBit. So they kind of are building out a portfolio of all the different canonical Ethereum NFTs within that structure. So it is exciting. It's weird, and it's super weird to think that they're not even a year old. Like, <laughs> like apes and <laughs> and MeBits aren't even a year old yet. Well, okay, so on that topic, although they're not even a year old, clearly money has happened. And this week, more money happened, and ApeCoin arrived. So ApeCoin is, again, a kind of epochal, seminal, if you will, moment in the history of what's happening with apes. Because um, this is their jumping off point for, I guess, a metaverse currency. Talk a bit about what is ApeCoin, what is ApeCoin, and who's behind it. Because once you dig deeper on the kind of assemblage the weird mishmash of people who brought this into existence it looks on the one hand pretty opportunistic like you had to do it you kind of had to otherwise someone else was going to mm. and yet wow what a way to dominate the space and suddenly bring into existence a governance layer that's worth i want to say 14 billion in total it will be because there's a there's a, a billion tokens i think the current price per ape coin is 14 dollars so yeah 14 billion fully diluted market cap 
for the governance of what does it govern tell me a bit about who's behind it and what it governs well first of all what is it apecoin <laughs> is for the web3 economy this will be the currency of web3 I mean it doesn't have to be but then the only people who have the kind of gravitas in the space to be able to make that claim and then for it to follow through have just made that claim so you 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 collapse board ape yacht club that group is declaring that this is the currency of web3 so that was pretty powerful who's behind it well they had to give a little bit of money to Andreessen Horowitz to help them with the kind of governance design and the token issuance the breakdown goes like this 62% ecosystem fund which is existing holders and the dow treasury 16% ugalabs plus charity completely unhelpful category the charity is an environmental charity 14% launch contributors and that does include some of the companies that were mentioned including andreessen horowitz and then uh, 8% the founders of board ape yacht club the up till now fairly anonymous four founders of Yuga Labs and Board Ape Yacht Club including such luminaries as Emperor Tomato Ketchup and Gargamel so the powerhouse Amioka Brands who's behind Sandbox and Andreessen Horowitz a 16z venture fund that got in early to crypto got in early on web3 they between them got 14% in exchange for helping prepare the issuance and that 14% is 14% of 14 billion right mhm so like a lot of money but so long story short they launched a dao right so what this is is not money out of thin air although it is money out of thin air from like a practical perspective but it's they've said we are yuga labs we're a private company that's taking investment that owns the ip and the rights to all these things and blah 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 that's yuga labs this is separate where they're saying there will be a foundation there will be a dao which is this i guess ape dao ape coin dao which all the people who owned a board ape just got airdropped a whole load of tokens that they can use to vote so 62 percent of the voting rights go to owners and holders of board apes which kind of makes sense and then anyone who buys the tokens they can they can have rights to take part in the governance side of it and that's what's really interesting for all of this because it's really awkward because no one wants web3 to just be yuga labs animoca i think i saw like someone from ftx is on the board and andreessen hoverwitz right that's what elon musk was kind of trolling about when he's like oh web3 isn't decentralized at all it's just the same thing as web two so in that sense problematic but in the sense that they are creating a different entity different legal entity which is the dao that could be very interesting because now that dao just has has a different set of people goals a different war chest to go and build out whatever it's planning to do for web three right i want to say that of the 62 percent, it's only a quarter that's going to board ape yacht club and mutant ape yacht club holders uh, three quarters is sitting going to sit in the treasury and oh, that's the 16% true. 16% breaks down between Yuga Labs holding on to about 10% of it and uh, 6.25% going to the Jane Goodall Legacy Foundation uh, which continues its work with chimpanzees mm. so Yuga Labs walks away with 10% so this is so ecosystem fund obviously you can do a lot with with that uh, three quarters of 62% of 14 billion 
the governance aspect of it, uh, we'll, co- we'll come to this in How Do I Crypto, but essentially what kind of things are we expecting this DAO to do, to vote on? What are they, When the apes ape in again, when they ape in to vote, what are they going to ape, ape on about? Don't know. Too, too soon to tell. But I think the, the, the role of this initially will just be shaped by the people who founded it, right? So a lot of other NFT holders, they're not bothered about the governance. They just got, a lot of them just got adopted a ton of money and are probably going to cash out. $150,000? Yeah, for people who owned an ape at, at its current market value, which is just absurd. Yeah, they just got $150,000 for free for every ape they own. I can't tell if your reaction is because of your COVID or because of the impact of just taking that on board. Yeah, not not owning an ape is a, a weird thing. I was joking with you earlier about like Jimmy Fallon and Steph Curry are far more successful NFT investors than any of us. <laughs> just by buying one one ape at an astronomical price, they've already had 100% return on investment within six months. Can't go wrong with that. <laughs> Um, I don't know. I don't know what this what this means. What I was wondering is: is this is Ape the new Doge? And question for you: Are the fundamentals for Ape better than the fundamentals for Doge? Wow. What I like, I have to say, about ApeCoin is that there's a billion of them, and uh, that's capped. Now, the thing about Doge is that there's just an infinity number of them, so it's really hard to get to, you know, pray to optimality or sort of find the kind of supply demand equilibrium point in in an infinity money supply a few members of the apecoin consortium that i want to call out co-founder of reddit alexis hanian guy siri who've mentioned before music industry veteran whose clients include madonna and u2 mm-hmm. and horizon labs the blockchain developer based in hong kong its fundamentals are that it's absolutely networked in to the, the very jugular of the nexus of hollywood and finance so if money is community and cachet and value is at the meeting point of property and cultural movements, then they're like mainlining that stuff. So yeah, I think they're well set up to do well. Yeah, I do too. I actually think, you know, we went through dog money last year. Dog Everyone money. was trying to replicate Doge, we had Shiba Inu and various Inus that came up. I think yeah, you're going to see... A good, which is still a good project. Yeah, but you watch now. Every half-baked, barely existing NFT project is going to try and launch the DAO now. The You'll way have I see every it, type that's of coin. Kind of why ape money had to happen because there was a vacuum here in the space, and if they hadn't done ape coin, something else would have taken its place. They needed to seize the ground and occupy it. Mm. Mm. But I, I don't think many others could have done this. Oh no, definitely. Like, but. I'm talking they would have about, all failed. Um, yeah, I'm talking about a community-led effort that would have claimed the ApeCoin mantle. Now, as it is, this is a DAO that's notionally independent, and they've made good intention claims that say you know, we intend for this to ultimately we will step back from it, and it will be a fully independent, decentralized, autonomous mm. organization. And that's really good. And I really hope that they follow through on that and it does genuinely become a community-led effort if they hadn't taken the initiative something would have grassroots come up from the community and maybe have done really well maybe mm. been set up in a haphazard way that gave, gave it structural flaws as it stands 24 hours later they seem to have 
got off on the right foot. You know, last year, people were saying, oh, NFTs are a bubble. It's all going to pop. Yep, still believe that. Absolutely. Well, it's interesting, right? For anyone scratching their head still and mocking JPEGs and, you know, there's the whole like right-click save as movement for all of this. This is now another data point that you can add to that whole worldview because I don't think you can write it off as easily now. It comes down to that whole thing of when Yuga Labs have a war chest of, I don't know how many billion, they've just got crazy amounts of money. Plus they've spun up this DAO, this essentially self-governing foundation that's community-led and has people from Reddit and FTX and everyone else and Andreessen Horowitz in the mix and a huge treasury to, to back. Even if NFTs as a market kind of go through their own like bear market phase, there's enough fuel to get them through winter in all of this. And what you're going to see come out of it, will, I think, will be will be quite exciting. So just on that, um, I want to say as a data point, I think the ecosystem fund, war chest developer fund that Yuga Labs is left with or that the DAO is left with is is bigger for ApeCoin Web3 than than the developer fund for Meta, the Meta flavor of the Metaverse. How much did he put aside? I think they're investing 150 million. Who are? Meta. <laughs> <think> Meta. <laughs> no, that's not they, right. That's not right. That's the, the, check again. They can't be. Meta are investing 150 million. Yeah. And we're saying that this treasury now has 470 million tokens, right? Which is almost half of the billion token supply. So it's almost half of the entire market cap, which the current market price is $7 billion. That's the that's the Dow Treasury war chest. So seven billion versus one hundred and fifty million. How much are Microsoft putting into Metaverse? Because I'm I'm amazed by Facebook. Facebook must be putting in more than that. No, Facebook is investing one hundred and fifty million in AR, VR training and resources to help learners, creators, and developers build new skills, access technologies, and unlock opportunities in the Metaverse. Create with us, they say. But that's not their investment into like R and D and everything else, is it? No, so, but that's the kind of the equivalent of the ecosystem fund. I'm talking about like grants and I'm talking about incentive programs and incubators and the the developer community they can build with this war chest is enormous. So does that mean, okay, we're going to go way off beast, but Yuga Labs and the Ape Foundation, are they the new alphabet and meta of the next decade? One of the things I texted you immediately upon receiving this news is that this decentralized web three universe is beginning to look a lot more centralized day by day. And um, this is an absolutely giant entity and it's kind of amazing to see how quickly they were able to consolidate off of the back of some simians. Mm. Under a year. Their birthday is in like two weeks. (laughs) Um, There's one more thing on not so much on board apes, but just an update on the Gucci um, yeah. situation with 10KTF. What's happening? And specifically, what are you doing? <laughs> Recap. There's a chap. He's Japanese gentleman. Uh, his name is Wagami-san. He lives in New Tokyo, a floating city in a parallel universe. He was visited recently by Alessandro, a guy who works for Gucci as their lead designer, and they decided to collaborate. So until then, Wagami-san was making bespoke items based off of 
your NFTs. Like he would take an ape and put it on a backpack and it would be very finely made or you could put it on some shoes, trainers. You see the stitching. It was very nice. But now with Alessandro's help, he's taking Gucci designs and putting them on your ape. So now your ape might be wearing, or your pudgy penguin or whatever it is, might be wearing like bright yellow Gucci shirt or like a red thing with a riding helmet for no reason. And that is what's been happening. Now, there was a short period of time to claim a mint pass, get the mint pass, apply the mint pass to your NFT, and then choose which of the Gucci designs get applied to your your NFT profile picture. And then in the great reveal that happens on Wednesday, the 23rd, you will be able to see your Gucci'd up NFT, like your world of women, but now wearing a completely new outfit as a separate NFT. I think it's driven a lot of excitement. I think it's really fun for the people doing it. I'm not able to participate because none of my NFTs are part of the 11 collections that can be Gucci'd up. You had to have an NFT which the creators had given you their IP, and as discussed, in some of these some of these projects, they hadn't done that. Now, as a fun little game, I'm kind of playing with the real basics of supply and demand economics. Up until 11pm on Saturday, it's possible to redeem a mint pass and turn your NFT into a Gucci NFT. So I've got one of these mint passes, and I'm watching hour by hour, minute by minute, as the clock ticks down to 11pm UK time Saturday to see what happens when all the passes run out and whether that means that the last pass, if I'm still holding it, is worth more. Um, There are a few different outcomes there. I could be left holding a completely dud pass that no longer works. Uh, That would be unfortunate. The price could go down towards the end because people have less time to redeem it. So right at the very end, it could go down in a kind of flash sale because people are panicking uh, into trying to relinquish it just to, just to get, get it off their hands in a fire sale. So all kinds of things could happen. And uh, that's what I've been keeping my BDI on. You're insane. So what's really weird about this, it's that this, this isn't just some random side project. Gucci are clearly thinking long term about what their digital footprint is in gaming the metaverse, whatever you want to call it. Uh, They have land in Sandbox. They have a Discord. They have the Gucci vault that's already done their own kind of NFT equivalent things for some of their products. They, just like JP Morgan and Nike and others, have have realized that you need to have just, I don't know, like a footprint, like some land in this place that everyone's going to be gaming or doing stuff to engage and, and to be relevant, to be honest. But then... What's quite interesting about Gucci, because I know nothing about anything when it comes to fashion, this isn't just like random stuff. This is the Gucci Love Parade cowboy outfit that was on a catwalk in summer last year. Mm. That's the that's the outfit that they've put on people, which which you can't buy. It's actually the sort of thing that celebrities get to wear because it's like not for sale. It's just the catwalk stuff. And they're putting it on like board apes and world of women and on things that you can't even get the right resolution because it's just pixels. It's kind of a weird thing. But this weird trend, I don't think this trend's going to go away. I think it's actually going to grow in an absurd and very surreal kind of way. It's like Fortnite skins, which I never understood either, but Fortnite skins are like a big deal as a status thing and as a 
you gotta you gotta build up your collection, your kind of wardrobe of it. I think this will be a similar type thing. Anthropology is fascinating, isn't it? Because you, you you know when you're in the universe and you're trying to explain to other people what it is you think you're doing, it takes a lot of explaining. It does, but then I never understood luxury handbags. It's, it's like I, I'm if you're trying to think of things from a utilitarian perspective, a handbag's a handbag's a handbag, but a certain handbag made by a fancy brand is worth a thousand times more than almost an identical thing picked up from a marketplace in Malaysia. And it's like, yeah, they carry they carry a completely different set of psychological values. But I, I do think this is the state of play. And I was wondering, with the focus on environmentalism that's happening at the moment, quite rightly, around energy usage, sustainability, single-use plastics, all of that stuff, what is actually better for people to collect and consume is it better to get series after series of single-use plastic or physical manufactured goods that ultimately don't provide any additional utility but are purely there from an aesthetic fashion perspective and often aren't recyclable or easy to dispose of that will just become trashed somewhere? Or is it better for that thing to exist in a entirely digital space taking up just energy and some bytes stored on a disk somewhere? An energy-intensive proof-of-work. Well, we just discussed Ethereum's months away from moving to proof-of-stake, which is 99% less energy. So assume the energy bit of the equation is null and void. You know what I mean? It's kind of... Yeah, I appreciate you trying to ask a kind of environmental question. I think I'd turn that on its head and ask a really different question. So in order to do conspicuous consumption well, in a world that has a lot more online presence... Are you going to do it better by buying digital items or physical items? Are you going to succeed better in conspicuously consuming and signalling your status by doing it through digital products or through physical products? It's a genuine question, and that's an interesting question. As for which has got a better environmental footprint, you know, that's a leading question based on what you just said. There's one more thing on NFTs, though. It's fresh off the press. NFTs are coming to Instagram. Tell me more. Mark Zuckerberg said it two days ago, I think, that NFTs will be soon available in Instagram. What that means, who knows? Is that, does that mean... Available the, as profile pictures or available as uh, things to buy? Don't know. Don't know, but these are all Need good to questions. Know. Tell me. No, don't don't know, but these are these are valid questions, right? Because if it's just a Twitter profile picture, that, that's, that's one thing, fine. You say just, those hexagons were hard to do. If, it, <laughs> if on the other hand, it's your pictures or videos or things minted as nfts somehow that can be bought i mean oh, that's come on a... no no the worst you don't think they'll do that but flooding flooding the market with influencers sort of pinned photos but this time i can own it yes and the tr- i'm transacting it in instagram yes. through a credit card friendly interface yes and then I'm holding it in a non-decentralized wallet, which actually Mark's holding the keys of. <laughs> yes, all of that. All of that. Yes. Absolute horror that show. Actually this dystopian happen. world you're describing. I'm going to move on, Jonathan Tipper, this week in How Do I Crypto? How Do I Crypto? It's episode 10 of How Do I Crypto, believe it or not. So we've been doing this nine other times. And I thought, shall we end it? No more. But then I realised we actually haven't ever covered. Like, say you've bought crypto and you're holding it long term. Should you be involved in mining, staking, governance, all these other things? Ultimately, to get a yield 
out of your investment. Yeah. One thing that I think we didn't cover yet, but I, I'm just going to drop in here, just apropos of nothing, is the right resolution to look at your portfolio on is a one-week resolution. Don't go follow it on the day resolution or the hour resolution. That is a mistake. Look at it always on a one-week basis. Otherwise, you'll get into emotional turmoil about whether things are going well or not. One week is probably about right because like, it's still worth looking at, but you get, you get a bit more bigger picture. So you've got this opportunity to, as well as, I don't know, fighting inflation or something, you've got the opportunity to actually earn outsized interest on your tokens by staking them. And it's sort of, it begins to creep into the weird world of DeFi and people will start throwing around ridiculous APY numbers. So we're used to, for the last few years, 0.25% of an interest you know, on a good day. But people will start saying to you, oh yeah, so if you stake these coins, and that might mean you have to lock them up for 18 months, or it might just mean that you stake them and you can instantly unstake them. If you stake these coins, then you will see an interest rate of, and they'll choose a number, like it'll be somewhere between the number five and the number 60%. So there be there be dragons here. Should you start mining? Well, what we mean there is you get some expensive chips that run really hot you plug them into an electricity supply and you use them to keep your shed warm um don't do that probably unless you've got access to vast amounts of clean renewable electricity yeah if you live somewhere with really cheap electricity where it's like coming from geothermal that's probably not a crazy idea but yeah for most people no and finally should I get involved in governance? This is one I struggled with the most because it's like when Russell Brand was telling people not to bother voting. I don't want to be Russell Brand in this situation. So I have to <laughs> hand over to you. Should I get involved in governance? Can I just add to some of the, the stuff around the staking bit? Because I think there's two different parts, right? I was thinking you could just go down the route with crypto.com, Kraken, probably Binance, where they literally, you can just use them like a savings account, stake or, or lock up. They do it all for you. And they do it for you and they give you uh, anywhere between like 3 and 10% or something. What's really happening in those situations is they are just using you like a bank. They're lending that to often short sellers who are borrowing it at interest, right? Uh, but you do get a return on that. And actually, that's not terrible. I think crypto.com, the rates are very good. Kraken actually has some very good rates and is quite secure. But the risk would be um, you don't own that crypto. And if Celsius happens, has very good rates. Does it? Okay. Yeah, yeah, very good. So there, there are options there, but they're centralized exchanges and you don't really own your crypto. But if it's a small amount and you're not that worried, then those are quite good. The one that you were talking about on staking um, is like the DeFi bit, which to be entirely honest, if this is the first time you're hearing of it, I wouldn't even go near it because um, it's just so high risk. There's just so many things that can go wrong there. However, there are some ways of staking specifically Ethereum and staking it on ETH2, which is the, the proof of stake one, which you can use something called Lido. I don't know if you've heard of Lido. That basically is like these pools of staked Ethereum where you can get, yeah, up to like 7 8%. So if you're going to leave it there long term, and if it's a good enough amount to make the gas fees not disproportionate, and does that come with a lockup, like normal Ethereum stuff? No, no, that doesn't okay. come with a lockup. It's, it's liquid because they get, basically give you a Lido Ethereum token for it. Now, governance. 
No governance. It's your responsibility, isn't it, as a dutiful Ethereum citizen of Web3, that you should be doing, uh, participating in the governance, you stake the, the, the token, whatever it is, and then you get to participate in votes. Governance in these things is always like, if you have such a small amount of it that your vote is somewhat meaningless and you're not that bothered because you're really in it just for the money or just to use some other utility functions of that token, probably don't worry about it. But there are some moments where governance matters. So I mentioned the shapeshift one, I think on a previous episode, right? Where shapeshift, by being a company and moving to a decentralized version of itself, there were proposals there that were quite meaningful, things that would influence the overall direction of the project. If it's worth your time to just vote in the direction of what you believe and where that should go, I think it's worth it. It doesn't give you extra money, you don't get extra perks. Occasionally they'll give you like a proof of attendance protocol token, like, you know, here's a badge for voting kind of thing, you know, which which might be nice if it's something that as part of your who you are and your Web3 profile, you want people to know that you voted in a certain thing, then that's kind of cool. Yeah, I think governance is going to be one of those things where increasingly over time, people are going to realize some of these decentralized autonomous organizations have better governance than like nation states when it comes to your ability to have your say. And that will hopefully, this next generation will start to think of politics very differently. So I wouldn't say don't do governance, but obviously it's whether it's worth your time. Thank you, Jonathan. Good advice, as ever. This is not financial advice. Does that bring us to CryptoPunk or CryptoFunk? It sure and does. This week it's it's your turn, and I'm looking forward to this. So thank you, thank you in advance for the work you've put in. Did I lose last time? Yeah, badly, God, badly. Had like ups and downs. So, my, my, both of mine have like a theme. There's a good theme. There's a kind of environmental theme going on. So, first one is called Amazon NFT. It's not what you think. It's not a shopping e-commerce thing. Um, this runs on Polygon. And it's basically ownership of a bit of the Amazon rainforest in Brazil. And you can kind of own and digitally monitor your part of the Amazon preservation project. But you don't have to go and like mow the lawn or like plant trees or any, it's all taken care of by another entity. But you get to own one NFTs, one hectare. And you can kind of own that. Great, thank you. What's the next one? The other one is called Freebies NFT. So this runs on Solana and because it's called Freebies, it was free to mint. So you can mint these little 2D pixel bees. They're kind of cute, round and cuddly, not like awkwardly anatomically correct. Um, But there are yeah three types of bees. There's honeybees or bumblebees or the rare ones, which are queen bees. And they've got all sorts of different looks. You can have like the fur color can be different colors or how many stripes or the size of the eyes or different traits so some of them have like i'll go into that later but basically this one is focused around having certain project milestones to support bee sanctuaries across europe and the rest of the world and so some of the royalties 10 percent of royalties go to uh, the bee sanctuary movement.org do you have any questions on either freebies nft or the amazon nft the bees one is doing my head in because I have seen a bees-based NFT project recently 
and it had a variety of artistic styles from various contributors. And I seem to remember it somehow linked to in Bright ID, one of the people who can verify you, but it didn't have the same kind of link back to this bee sanctuary business. Mm. So, yeah, so it's it's interesting because I, I feel be like one. you've been inspired by that to to make something that isn't isn't real. And then mm. you've kind of concocted this bizarre linkage to the bee sanctuaries. Tell me about which organization it's under the... No, I'm going to the rainforest now. So for the Amazon one, tell me what organization is kind of administrating and kind of bringing credibility to the sort of... What umbrella is this under? Mm, it's under something called Moss. So Moss, Amazon. They're basically selling Amazon parcels of land. So you can buy your NFTs, you can own it. And... Do you technically own it? Do you have title deeds to that land? And how do they sell it in the sense of, are they transferring ownership of land that they own? Yes, but they remain as custodians. So you can't go build like a big development complex on your one hectare of Amazon land, but you own kind of the the rights to... Is it land to... that's already being used and impinged on by farmers? No, no, this is new land. So it's new land. New Amazon land. <laughs> new land. It's not being used by that. So they're trying to basically create a wall, a green wall that protects the Amazon. If they can get 15 million hectares, you can deter deforestation, basically prevent people from, from getting further into the Amazon. But you can well, own I mean, part of that. They need to build a fence around it, right? Uh, it's just, just having an NFT on a map isn't stopping anyone from expanding their use of arable land I, or land for livestock? I assume they have monitoring on the ground. They're doing a lot of satellite surveillance, digital with, monitoring. Well, that was, to, was going to go there. So does it come with any satellites, satellite surveillance from microsatellites or like relatively, you know, relatively live satellite data? Yes. So, yeah. So the, the sale proceeds fund all of that stuff. So satellite, digital monitoring, maintenance, anything on the ground that needs to be done to, to verify it. But you as an owner, you own your hectare um, and you get to just monitor that. And But if something were to happen, like if I saw someone putting up a block of flats, uh, apartment condo complex, and you then... You would not be obligated to go and... What would I say? Would I write to them or I, is there a... I don't think you would do anything i think it would be done on your behalf by the custodians of the land but you what does moss to, stand for um moss it's like is that the green stuff is it a real is a real organization moss must be <laughs> do you want to say something about these bees that you've painstakingly made up like the the just compendium of lies that you've assembled do you want to go through yeah, it yeah 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 sure tell um, me some of the ridiculous traits you've come up with so I came so up with... So there's honeybees, bumblebees, and then the very rare queen bees. Yeah, I came up with all these great traits. So they've yeah. got... Um, some of them wear gloves. Yeah, right. Um, some of them have boots. A couple have jars of honey. Okay. Um, only the honeybees, obviously. Some have radio antennae. So not just mm -hmm. normal antennae, but like special ones to help navigate. And the bumblebees, you can get bumblebees with carbon fiber wings, which they look really cool. They're kind of shiny and almost like Kevlar, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but your favorite one will be the 3D glasses, which are compound 3D glasses. 
They were incredible. Um, oh, because they have lots of eyes. Yeah, because they've got compound eyes. Um, there are a very small, like, rare set of um, honeybees that have masonry tools. Like, right. Which What's is... deal with that? Uh, I don't know. Something to do with types of bees. But but they're very rare. They're like... Are they... So that this is an obscure bee-related gag. So there's something to do with... Um, ma- so are there... Are there honey bil- bees that are builder bees? I don't know. They they literally have a, a tool belt on them. Right. Um, and the team is team's based out of Bristol, so it's actually a UK team, uh, which is why they're trying to start up in in Europe and then expand. But you can buy them. You can buy them on uh, using Solana, and you can get them on what's that one? Um, that's like their OpenSea equivalent. Solana out. No, it's the other one um, that it's it's trading more on. Damn it, what's it called? Anyway, um, the the floor on there is is zero point one two sol, which is like ten dollars. So, um, because I didn't mention actually, there's you know normally you get like a ten k project. This is a hundred k project. So each wallet can mint ten bees, and they haven't minted out yet. They're just steadily just going because it's free. You can kind of anyone can just go mint them. So, I think oh, any, oh, anyone can mint them for free. Yeah, yeah, they're but called freebies. They're already selling for ten dollars. Yeah, well, the floor is. It's not super liquid. There's been seventeen thousand nine hundred minted so far, but you can imagine, like, the floor is there, but how liquid it is. Mm. Right. That's what I was trying to think. What the site is called because it's not Solana Art. It's the other one that's got a silly name. You know, there's like three on Solana. Anyway, yeah. I forget. You're almost making it seem a bit credible now. Oh, no, definitely not. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I can tell... What, what more What more can I tell you about that you'd be interested in? Do you want to know so how this much... Bristol-based team that do this. Yeah, I mean, what's their background? How come they're so into bees? Mm, doesn't say. There's like three people. One of which was the the artist, although it's don't get too excited. It is pixel art, but um, no, they're just like environmentally focused people. They're just running it, it's a small project. Um, I can tell you a bit more about the Amazon NFTs. Do you know how much the floor is? If you have know. to buy a the, hectare, the polygon, the polygon floor, the polygon floor is in, yeah. in polygon ETH is zero point eight nine one ETH. Yeah, that's a lot, isn't it? It's quite a lot. Well, they they sell for around three thousand dollars USD, USDC. I think when you buy, when you buy one of these, carry so, on. Tell me more facts. Yeah, so each each hectare when they buy them, when you when they run a series of them and you buy them, yeah, it's three thousand dollars. You're Can buying you a hectare. More? Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I mean, we have to draw this to a conclusion. And obviously, they're both very strong. You've done a really good job. And uh, I think I'm going to have to stick with my gut feel on this, which is that uh, you're making it harder, though, by, by you want me to do this, don't you? You want me to choose. I don't want you to anything. I, this is bad. This I'm very is, ill. You're making it really hard. You're making it very hard. But I have to stick with my gut because every time I flip, it really messes up. Stop nodding. Stop nodding. So... I'm going to stay with Amazon. Amazon is the crypto punk and the freebies are the crypto funk. 
Cool. Final answer? Yes. Good, good. Um, so the Phoebe's NFT are the crypto funk. They're not real. You're correct. And the Moss Amazon NFTs are real. And Moss is actually something you should look into because they do their MCO2 token, which is their Moss CO2 carbon credit token, which is listed on Coinbase, Gemini, Uniswap, etc. And that has is tied to a whole ecosystem where you can basically offset carbon and have tradable carbon credits. And part of that is underpinned by this whole Amazon rainforest initiative, of which you can own chunks of it with that nft piece so really good pretty cool jonathan thank you very much congratulations well done talk to you next week and get well soon thank you speak next week started during lockdown needed something to do they looked at each other they said hey i like talking to you and so from a garden shed in a box room and